Welcome to episode 51 of the MMA Rundown podcast. This will probably be a pretty quick one. Uh, not as though the last few have been really long anyway, but it seems as though new information in MMA seems to be fairly limited, especially at this point. Uh, but there are a few things to talk about. So the first story that I'm going to get to is Khabib effectively saying he's out of UFC 249 and sort of backtracking on it a little bit. Uh, so I'll just recap what he was saying and what that means going forward with that event coming up in two weeks, assuming that it still happens. Um, sort of something that I had thought about during the week uh, that I wanted to bring up. But when UFC Brasilia happened, that was, if we go back in time, that week sort of started on a Wednesday where things really got out of hand when COVID was declared a global pandemic, uh, when the NBA canceled their season. And then the Thursday after that, uh, most of the leagues followed. There's a lot of people who are complaining about the UFC not canceling events and even going ahead and going forward the UFC Brasilia event. Um, so that event happened on that Saturday, so a few days after. And a lot of people felt as though the people who were involved were really at high risk of catching the coronavirus. So I just wanted to see, has anyone from that card, whether it's been a fighter or someone else, has the story come up of anyone catching coronavirus? Uh, so I'll talk about that. Um, a huge story in the jiu-jitsu community it just kind of broke last night. Kind of, it. I I don't know when it's going to hit its peak, hit its peak, but it's definitely something that I think, especially over time, is going to really uh, start to sink in. But a major name in the jiu-jitsu community, uh, Ricardo De La Hiva, uh, the creator of one of the most common guards in jiu-jitsu, especially in sport jiu-jitsu, the De La Hiva guard. It's not used as much in MMA. Uh, though it is used occasionally, but it's very common in sport jiu-jitsu. Uh, but he was accused of rape by a former student who is also a black belt world champion, Claudio Doval. So I'll talk about that, or at least see, talk about what I've gathered on that so far. Um, some bad news from college wrestling. We had so far the first, and hopefully the only, but so far the first uh, college wrestling program that had to be that has been canned since uh, a lot of these cancellations from coronavirus, and that's been Old Dominion. Uh, so I'll talk about that. And then the last topic for this week is going to be Tatiana Suarez. She did an interview, I believe it was with James Lynch, and she was talking about her recovery from the neck injury. And prior to, or I should say right after her last fight, she was supposedly next in line for that title shot at 115 and has sort of gone missing ever since. And it, it was seemed as though once she was finally done with her rehab that she'd be able to get back in there and eventually fight for the title. Uh, so I'll, I'll recap what the main message of that interview was. So back to the top, we have Khabib Nurmagomedov. As of now, and I, I say as of now, with this podcast being recorded, probably like 30 minutes after uh, Ali Abdelaziz put out a tweet saying, I told you guys this would happen, just like a really vague tweet that seemed to be indicating that something big was happening. I don't know exactly what that means. He's also the manager of Justin Gaethje, so maybe that means that the event's still going to happen and something's happening with Justin Gaethje. Uh, maybe he's just playing around. Oftentimes he will make um, fake announcements and then try to use that as like a negotiating tool and sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. So until we actually have big news come out, I don't know if there's anything to make of that, but it is worth saying that Ali did put out a tweet like that. So maybe by the time that this is uploaded um, onto Anchor for the audio only podcast, uh, there'll be news on that. If not, maybe by the time that um, the video is created and the video is put up on YouTube and BitChute, um, there's more information and maybe there's really nothing there. And even if you're hearing this a few days later, there's still no new updates. I, I'm not sure exactly what the case is, but as of Sunday night, which is when I'm recording right now, uh, the updates that we have on UFC 249 is they still don't have a location. They don't have a location announced. And Khabib, who is stuck in Russia, was saying, look, it doesn't look like the locations you guys are looking at now are locations, like, locations I can get to. I don't know where the location is, so if I don't know where the location is, how can I actually go there? 
And with that being said, he's like, look, if, if this is the case, I, I just can't fight. So it sounded as though he was saying he's out of the fight. And there was a tweet slash Instagram post that he put up with it as well. And it was sort of weird. I, I don't listen to Khabib's interviews enough where I could like confidently say I know what is something that he would say and what's something that someone would say for him. But it, didn't see, it did seem like the name Khabib was being used a lot there in the third person if Khabib was actually saying it himself. No, granted, Khabib does speak in third person occasionally, but oftentimes... It, it seems like a specific context. I'm not sure. Uh, again, I haven't heard him enough, so maybe that was him who wrote that post. Uh, it doesn't seem as though he ever really came out publicly and said that that post wasn't him. Uh, but it did seem like it was sort of weirdly worded. But either way, that post made it sound like he was saying, look, I'm out for good. A couple of days later, he did an Instagram Live with Brett Okamoto and was asked directly, like, are you saying you're out of the fight or are you saying you're out of the fight if it's somewhere that you can't get to? And he was effectively saying, "It's I'm out if it's somewhere I can't get to. I need to know the location. So... To me, it sounds like Khabib is still technically in, um, but it's going to be very dependent on whether the UFC actually gets this fight to go down and what where it ends up being hosted. If it is in America, it's probably going to be pretty tough for them to get Khabib out there. Um, but if they, for whatever reason, decide to look into Russia and decide to, to do it in Russia, or if they do what I was talking about last week where they have it split up, where since they aren't doing it all in one location, they aren't selling tickets, you, you in theory could... Um, have a few different locations and run different fights in different locations and have it all broadcast to the same broadcast. Uh, so maybe that's something they look at too. But to this point, it doesn't look as though they have a fight or they have a fight location lined up. Uh, it seems, at least for Khabib to be coming out the way that he has, it seems as though given the information he knows, which is more than what we know, that it's unlikely that he's going to have a fight. So in all likelihood, Khabib versus Tony isn't going to happen in a couple of weeks, which is unfortunate, but not terribly shocking. Um, as far as I've seen, Dana White is still pushing for it, though, and technically speaking, there is still a chance Khabib's in. He's not out for good, but it seems like for the most part that he is out. And there's there are a lot of people who are upset with Khabib for, for coming out and saying that he thought, or he felt like he was out, and since he doesn't have a location, uh, he can't take a fight. People were saying, okay, this is Khabib pulling out. It's 3-2 to two in pullouts in favor of Tony. Uh, some people were saying that Khabib is scared. First off, no, I, I don't think Khabib is scared of Tony. Uh, he wouldn't have been so adamant in taking this fight in the first place. But also, in, in terms of fighters and fear, technically, I guess fear is a part of a, a part of the game for every fighter, regardless of who they're fighting. Um, but when people say, oh, you're scared, you're scared, I think it's more just people trying to say things that they remember being effective um, pieces of trash talk back when they were in school and people actually regularly got into fights. Um, but from a martial arts standpoint, that really isn't that relevant of a point. Do I think that Khabib has some worries about fighting Tony? Sure. Do I think Tony has some worries about fighting Khabib? But I don't, to say that Khabib's backing out because he's scared, no, it's, he's backing out uh, because the logistics just aren't working out, and I'm sure he'd be willing to take that fight anyway. Um, so do I have an issue with Khabib effectively saying, hey, look, I'm basically out, before he had to have that interview with Okamoto where he sort of clarified that and said I'd still be in if it's in a location that I can get to? I, I mean, I don't know. Uh, again it's hard to tell this because there's so much information that's changing and there's so much information that isn't known. I mean, for all we know, uh, they actually do have a location in play right now and they've kind of agreed to it and maybe they're just like sort of playing along and doing this just to continue to get some more press coverage. So there's constant could be versus Tony stories all the way through uh, up until the next couple of weeks. And then from there, they figure that's going to help it sell better. Maybe that's a, maybe that's an optimistic hope of mine, but maybe that's what's going on. Like it, it seems pretty unclear, but Based on the most recent interview with Khabib, where he said, hey, look, I'm not completely out of it. It's just I don't think there's going to be a fight, so I'm not going to tell you guys I'm fighting if I don't have a location. 
to me, that seems fair enough as it is. So I'm not too upset with Khabib. I, I hope that he ends up getting into this fight. I hope that they find a way to make it work, even if they have to do multiple locations. Uh, but ultimately, that's going to be up to Dana White and the UFC and what they can what they can manage. But it, it is kind of upsetting that at this point now, it looks less likely than it did at this point last week that the Khabib versus Tony fight's going to happen. But again, if they still have fights, even if it's Rosenstrike versus Ngannou in the main event, like I'm still going to watch that. But that Tony Khabib fight's a fight that we won for a while, and to get that fight in the first place would be great, but then to also get that fight at a time like this when we just haven't had live sports in a while, uh, we haven't had a whole lot to be happy about or to enjoy um, from an entertainment standpoint. Most people are just watching documentaries about tigers and crazy ladies who probably killed their husbands. And while I guess that kind of trashy TV, and that's not to say that's like bad or and it's not to like say anything about people who watch it. There's plenty of trashy TV that's fun to watch, but it's, it's trashy TV. Um, while that can be entertaining at some point, I, I think people people really like to resonate with sports. They like to resonate with a lot of, I, I mean, not just sports in general, but even martial arts specifically, where you understand the struggle that these guys put in it. You understand the pressure. You understand that what they're having to sacrifice to get there and what they're risking and what they're accomplishing when they when they get the win. Like, th- there's just a lot of great things about sports outside of the games themselves that really inspire people, and it'd be really nice to be able to get that back and to get in such a high-stakes fight, a fight that people have been wanting to see for so long, it would really mean a lot for a lot of people, so hopefully they find a way to make it work. Next topic to talk about is UFC Brasilia. Uh, so I sort of teased this before, but effectively, this isn't as though it's like a major news story. It's more so something that I thought about. But given the way that the MMA media has been handling the UFC, it, just, it seems like the pitchforks are out and writing. They're looking to do everything they can to sort of discredit them and say, hey, look how little you guys care. Look at how much risk you're, you're, doing, you're causing. They did do that UFC Brasilia event. They had an empty arena, but they still had probably at least 50 people who were on hand. And as far as I know, to this point, there were some stories right after where some of the people, a couple of fighters had been tested or a couple of fighters had been put in quarantine. But I haven't heard a single story about any of those fighters or any of the people involved in the UFC Brasilia testing positive for the coronavirus. So when you hear all this talk now about how risky it would be to put on an event in a couple of weeks... If an event is put on in a couple of weeks, you would have to imagine, especially with the higher um, availability of testing now, that the UFC, for one, they're going to have less people involved, but for two, the people who are involved are going to be more heavily tested. They're going to be a lot more careful about who's able to get in. Uh, the people who are involved, they're probably going to be kept in, kept separate from the people who aren't. You would have to figure that there are going to be a lot more precautions taken for the April 18th show than, the, than what there was for the Brasilia show. And so far from what we've seen, not a single person from the Brasilia show caught coronavirus from it. Now, that isn't to say that it didn't happen. I'm just saying that I haven't heard a single story about it, and I would expect to have heard a lot of stories about it had it happened. So maybe there are stories like that. Maybe the stories haven't come out yet, but I'm just saying at this point, not something we've heard yet. So for everyone talking about how thousands will die or millions will die if the UFC does UFC 248 and such a risky and dangerous thing and all the other crazy shit that they're saying, I would be interested to hear their take on the fallout from UFC Brazilian all the cases that haven't come to light um, that they must be so sure have happened, but for whatever reason haven't been reported. Um, and so maybe maybe if that remains the case, maybe if they do some more investigating into all the people involved and find out that no one really did get coronavirus, maybe that's something that the UFC can bring to whoever's going to be legislating uh, or whoever the governing body is going to be for UFC 248 and say, look, here's, here's an event that happened during a lot of this coronavirus shutdown. We were able to run this event in Brazil and 
no one caught anything. We're going to take even more precautions than we did then, and maybe that's going to be enough for them to at least get approval. Uh, but that actually is an interesting storyline to follow. And to this point, I haven't heard of any fighters, any coaches, any judges, any refs, any commentators, any production people, any of them that caught the coronavirus um, either around that day or even within a, a whole week. I think usually it takes four to five days, but e- even with a week after, we haven't heard of any cases. I don't even know if any of those people caught it even later after that, even weeks later, even though that probably wouldn't have been caught at the UFC Brazilia event. Uh, So that actually is interesting and worth noting. Um, Next topic to talk about, I don't know how deep I can get into this because I I feel like this is one of those things where at this point we just have an accusation. I have only heard one side of the story, and that one side that I heard was fairly brief. It was just I I had read um, some comments that were taken from an interview. I actually haven't heard the entire interview yet. Uh, but Claudio Duval is a multiple-time Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu world champion, a black belt world champion. Uh, used to train under Ricardo De La Riva. Again, De La Riva is the guy who originated the De La Riva Guard, which is a incredibly popular guard in sports Jiu-Jitsu. You, you see it occasionally in MMA, albeit not that much and fairly briefly. Uh, the way that guard usually works is that if the opponent on top has one leg forward and one leg back, which is fairly common, if you're going to have both legs even with each other, then you're asking to get swept. Uh, it's not a good, not a good stance. So usually someone's going to have one leg forward. So what you would do is you would take your leg um, and then sort of like wrap it from outside their knee inward. Uh, and then from there, in a gi, you can grab collars or you can grab sleeves. Um, but without a gi, uh, a lot of times you'll take, um, it, let's just say my left leg is going through their right leg. I'll usually like take my left foot, put it on their ankle. Uh, and then from there, my right leg, I can kind of like kick away, uh, come up from there, maybe into a single leg. There, there's a lot of stuff I can do from there. Like I said, it's not as common in MMA as it is in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, but it's an incredibly common guard in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, uh, especially at the lighter weights. A lot of the, those guys like to pull guard and pull into De La Riva guard. Um, and with it being named De La Riva guard, of course, I think is why this story is really going to get interesting over time. Um, because from what we've heard so far, the story that Claudio Duval said is that she was a, a really high-level student of his. Obviously, she's a world champion, so she's a very notable student of his. And... In, in some schools, the, the main instructor, their role isn't just that as of a coach, but oftentimes it, it kind of goes beyond that where they sort of like fill into like a father figure role. Uh, that can be for a lot of different reasons. Uh, sometimes it's just because a lot of martial arts instructors have a soft spot for, for people who are downtrodden in life and really want to try to help them uh, make things right. I don't know what the specific case with Claudio Duval was, why that sort of relationship formed, but whatever the case may be, that's what the re- relationship was. Uh, but from her side of the story, there was a night where he um, either texted or called her and said, hey, look, I'm coming over just to give you a massage. And she's like, I'm not sure. Okay, whatever. Uh, she she didn't really feel comfortable with it. But again, it's her instructor, so you're not really going to say no, don't come. Or at least that's how she felt. Uh, and then when he came over, uh, that what I read wasn't very explicit, but effectively she said that it, it, it got way beyond a massage. And she just kind of was like stunned there and really didn't know what to do as, as, as he was going on. And... Um, sexually um as far as she was concerned sexually assaulting her so again that's given the information i know that the specifics of that are fairly vague it's fairly unfortunate that this is one that's coming out now on a podcast and that's something that came out um and was told to uh, told to, told to the authorities uh that that'd be the appropriate person for it to come to um so at least from her side of the story we know that she was kind of put into an awkward situation 
Uh, she said she didn't say no, but she was like just kind of like laying there, like shocked. Which I mean, e- even if you don't say no, I think I I would say for most guys, I could definitely say for myself. Like if I'm with a girl and she's like not enjoying it, I can tell she's not enjoying it. I'm not gonna like be turned on. I want to continue. And from the way she made it, she described it, even if she didn't like directly say no, like she was saying she she was clearly not enjoying it. And he was just going on about his business anyway. Um, so there, there definitely seems like there's something wrong there, and if that's the case, it doesn't seem like something that's something that someone who normally doesn't do things like that would just do once and then that'd be a one-off. It seems as though that's something that's more of a pattern. So it'll be interesting to see over time if there are other other women who come out and share similar stories, and if we find that Ricardo De La Hiva really is um, really is someone who's committed sexual assaults on multiple women, um, even if it wasn't multiple and it was just this one. If if everything that's as described, that's still pretty pretty damning and not pretty good so again we, we're gonna have to hear his side of the story and hear what happened um and, and then really see where it goes from there but with dale Hiva being such a common position it'll be interesting to see how the jiu-jitsu community, jiu-jitsu community handles that uh, given that the name dale Hiva is said fairly often if people are just going to start changing the name of the change the name of dale Hiva guard uh be interesting to see if those who train under him are all going to leave the school now uh, we remember probably like seven years back with team light Irvin where there was that case where a couple of his students, uh, I think one was like a brown and one was a purple belt, uh, sexually assaulted another student who I think was a purple belt at the time, that there was a mass exodus of students from Lloyd Irvin's after that happened. There was also the, the the old story of Lloyd where when he was in college that he was involved in a train being run on a girl, and that was brought to court uh, for gang rape charges. He specifically got off on that, um, but he got a lot of flack um, in, in the wake of that controversy because of that. and. Though his his school's still there, and though he's still training guys, he, he lost a lot of his best students in the process. I'm interested to see if something similar happens with Lloyd Irvin, or s- something similar happens with um, De La Hiva. And I mean, if there are even like criminal charges here as well, uh, given that this is actually a, a, a new accusation here, it'll be interesting to see if they actually do get some authorities on on the case and see if they actually run this thing into trial. But it, it seems like this is only going to get uglier as time goes on, and especially when people start getting back to training and the phrase Dilla Hiva gets thrown on a whole lot more. I think people are really going to have it come, come to the front of their mind and they're really going to be interested in seeing how this plays out. And, um, was he guilty? Was he not? Um, for a lot of people, it's not really going to matter. I think at this point now, his name, even if they find out that the story isn't true, which it, it would seem like there's good reason to believe it's true, given that she had done so well with, with Dilla Hiva, uh, left his school afterwards. So at least there was a sign that a big change was made afterwards. Uh, and now she's with Soul Fighters, so maybe e- even if he flatly denies it, and even if it does, even if it's investigated, and they find nothing there. His name is going to be in the mud for a while for this, and I think they're going to be a lot of people regardless who aren't going to be comfortable saying his name regardless. So when they refer to the Delhi Hibigard, they'll probably um, give it an alternate name. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see all the changes that come as a result of this, but. This is news that just dropped, uh, I think, in the last 24 hours, and I feel like this isn't going to be the last time I talk about it. Um, sort of a sad story in college wrestling. So with a lot of the wrestling, or with a lot of the championships taken away, uh, especially the basketball championship, there was a lot of revenue that was expected to be brought in by the NCAA that was not brought in. And for most programs, um, outside of basketball, football, and um, I guess in some cases baseball, most college sports programs lose money. Uh, oftentimes when you hear talk about how colleges need to pay the athletes, usually people are going to be looking at the sports that are most profitable and the programs that are most profitable. So people will be looking at like Alabama, like, oh, look how much money Alabama makes. Like those players should make a lot of money, but they don't really think about 
like the small school wrestling program or the small school tennis program and how those programs are oftentimes losing money and having to like be funded by the profits from the other programs and with a lot of profits from the basketball programs not coming in it seems as though we're going to start seeing a lot of other college college programs in some trouble here and for wrestling the first division one program to to get the axe as a result of this or likely as a result of this is old dominion now it's not as though old dominion was probably bringing in a ton of money from college basketball anyway but at least in this case, they were the first ones to to flinch, and Old Dominion Wrestling is now going to be gone. So they have some some good guys there. They had Sidarian Perry, who's a former All-American. Uh, I think Larry Early was also a, another Old Dominion guy. So they had some good wrestlers who are probably going to be transferring out and looking for new places to wrestle. But with that being said, with them being the first Division One wrestling program to get dropped here, I think that's a pretty bad sign, and it's a sign of things to come, I think, where... There may be some other college wrestling programs, hopefully no other D1 programs, but possibly some other ones where the schools were barely affording to keep them in the first place and after losing a lot of revenue that has gone away. And especially if we're doing limited crowds or no crowds in August and September for college football, there's going to be a lot of money that's going to be lost by these colleges and the money that was being used to, in a way, subsidize some of the smaller sports might not be there and that could lead to the removal of some of those sports. So it's unfortunate, but it's something that's worth noting and Hopefully that doesn't get a whole lot worse, but it's definitely possible and possibly likely that it will. Last thing to talk about is Tatiana Suarez. So like I'd mentioned before, she was right in line for a title shot at strawweight, uh, but had a lot of trouble with her neck and wasn't able to really make a whole lot of improvements. In a recent interview, she said that she tried to get back into jiu-jitsu uh, about a week ago uh, to try that out, and it did not go well for her at all, that her neck still giving her a lot of issues, and that she's sort of like in the spot now where she's really lacking hope and really trying to find ways to to get that neck to improve but it really hasn't improved a whole lot since she last fought and with that being said it's going to keep her out of the title picture for a while but necks are they're just really tough to deal with i don't know for her if surgery is something that's on the table for her if she wants to potentially get the surgery if she's trying to do everything she can to avoid surgery and just not having any success and if the idea is going to be that she's going to get maybe a disc or two fused um and then come back after that. There have been other fighters who have had disc fusion surgeries and who have come back and been relatively successful at times. It's not as though they've been as dominant as their former selves. Um, so maybe that's what she's going to have to do. I would hope not for her, but again, if that is the route that she's forced into and she does have to get surgery, it'll be interesting to see if she makes the decision to just retire and say, hey, look, I, I had a run at it. It's not worth the risk um, fighting with a fused neck. Uh, or if she just has to get that surgery, maybe be out another year or two, and then eventually comes back, and we see how how far she can take it. Um, but either way, it seems pretty unlikely at this point that we're ever really going to get 100% Tatiana Suarez again, uh, or if we do, it'll be in a long time. And the fact that she can't even train jiu-jitsu right now, hadn't been able to train for jiu-jitsu for a while, it just means that the skill set that she had last had really isn't improving a whole lot over this time. So even if she does come back in a couple of years from now, you'd have to wonder how good she could have been had she had all this time to train rather than spending all this time trying to rehab and really being unsuccessful in it. Uh, so it is unfortunate. Do I think or do I think that she's going to be a champion at any point in her career? Again, that's all going to depend on how quickly she's able to come back from this, but the longer it takes, uh, the harder it's going to get for her because the rest of the division is going to keep improving. Uh, we've seen a lot of improvements in the women over time, and the more time that gets put into this, the, the tougher it's going to be for her because her striking is not really going to improve a whole lot over this time. Uh, the wrestling ha- has been fairly good, and it's among the better wrestling in the division, but the other the other girls are going to get better about defending takedowns and getting back up. Um, and then her jiu-jitsu, which is really important for a game where 
that's where she's going to be able to to really finish girls on the ground where she's going to be able to take advantage of the fact that she can get the fight to the ground and really control from there um, with the lack of improvement there because she's not able to train uh, what kind of issues, issues is that going to cause for her it, it just seems like to me the longer this goes the harder it's going to be for her to to reach the pinnacle like a lot of people expected her to do and that's pretty unfortunate like I'd mentioned a while back there are some other girls who are in the wrestling scene right now who are talking about or who were talking about after 2020 uh, taking a run at MMA now It'll be interesting to see, and this goes for the men as well, with the Olympics getting pushed back to 2021 and with now the qualifiers getting pushed back to 2021, are some of these guys, guys like Anthony Kassar, um, a girl like Forrest Molinari, for example, um, Nick Soriano, are, are they thinking, Bo Nickel, I think, is a really big one, too. Like, Are they thinking, okay, well, I was planning on being done with wrestling in 2020. I'm going to focus on MMA after, say, August, or are they saying, okay, well, we're just going to push it back a year and they'll be looking at MMA in August of 2021 rather than in August of 2020. I think that'll remain to be seen. It'll be interesting to see what they want to do, but that could be another implication here from the coronavirus and with um, the Olympus getting pushed back. So those are interesting things to, things to think about. Hopefully all of those guys get interviewed in the near future and they get asked those questions directly and we get some answers from them. Uh, so that'll be interesting to see, but for Tatiana Suarez, pretty unfortunate hope she's able to find something that that helps get everything fixed for her but back injuries are tough neck injuries are tough like i just i i wish i knew of something that i could like say hey maybe she, sh- she should try this but i'm sure i'm sure she's done everything she can to try things out um it, it seems like for the most part if you're going the rehab route you're, you're probably going like through a chiropractor um i'm going to a chiropractor right now for a much much less serious injury than what uh tatiana suarez had and I mean, while it's helpful, like, we, we do rehab exercises there. They'll do, like, their adjustments. It's not as though I get the feeling that what they're doing is going to, like, fix my back for good and, like, get things back to where it was supposed to be or where it was prior to it ever being hurt in the first place. And for Tatiana Suarez, I, I think she's probably – I would imagine she's gone the chiropractic route and tried to get, like, back adjustments, tried to do different rehab exercises and found that just hasn't been enough for her. And it seems as though at this point, if she's still having issues, there's a decent chance that surgery might be the last resort for her. And it, it sucks. Back surgeries are rough. Um, they'll definitely limit your mobility for the rest of your life. And th- they're not, they're not something you want to have unless you can, you can't avoid it. But it seems like Tatiana Suarez might have to go down that route if she wants to at the very least have a, have a higher quality of life, but continue MMA beyond that. Uh, but that'll cover it for this week. Um, next week will at, at this time will be I think six days away from UFC 248. So I would imagine that if UFC 248 is going to happen, there will at least be confirmation of UFC 248 by this time next week. If it's not going to happen, there will probably be, be confirmation of that. So either way, I'm, I'm sure there will be a little bit more to talk about next week than there has been so far, and I'm sure some other stories will pop up too. Hopefully, more positive stories than what we got this week. This week was a lot of negative. I feel like the most positive thing I talked about was that there just hasn't been any stories about people testing positive for coronavirus from UFC Brasilia, but all the other stuff that's been coming up hasn't been all that good. So hopefully get some more positivity. Hopefully they have an event for UFC 249. Whether or not they want to announce the location, I don't really care. Just if you can confirm that you got an event going, uh, that'll, that'll definitely be a pretty good story. And if you can start confirming fights that are on that event, that'll be pretty good too. So that remains to be seen. Look forward to it, and I'll talk to you guys next week, and hopefully there's some big news to talk about.